Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Welcome, everyone, to the final episode of Season 1 of The Bible Unmasked. We are finally at Episode 52 with most of your hosts and presenters, and we have a special surprise appearance. I am your host for tonight, Pastor Jennifer Hernandez, and again, I want to welcome you and congratulate you because you have just read the entire Bible. It has been our prayer that this incredible journey this year has brought you closer to God. As you know, the Bible Unmasked was our Bible study for the year 2021 with the goal of reading the entire Bible in 12 months. Tonight, we celebrate this great achievement together with you and with most of our hosts and presenters who appeared on the program this year. And starting with our fourth week presenter, we have Pastor McCoy. Our third week presenters, we have Pastor Dexter and his wonderful wife, Elizabeth. Our second week presenter is my favorite because he presented with me. We have Principal Rob. You're all my favorites. Come on now. And finally, our first week presenter, we have, drum roll please, we have Pastor Joe. Hello, guys. Yes. Hey, Pastor Joe. Good to have you here. For those of you who may be Logging in for the first time tonight for Bible Unmasked, Pastor Joseph Salajan was Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church's previous senior pastor, and he left us for Laguna Niguel Seventh-day Adventist Church in California, which is located in Orange County. So he left one sunny coast for another, but we are so happy for those of you who are know him and are watching his posts and his church in California, we are so happy that he's doing well and we are happy that he's here with us tonight. And so welcome to all of you, our presenters, Pastor Joe, Principal Rob, Pastor Dex, and Principal McCoy. Welcome to our final installment of Bible Unmasked. Before we begin, Pastor McCoy, will you please lead us out in prayer? I'm delighted to lead us out in prayer. Let us pray. Spirit of God, our teacher, we ask that you will be with us in this moment, that as we enter into the study of your word, we will be enlightened and our lives will be drawn closer to you and to each other, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. We have a bunch of questions that have been sent to us. And so we are going to dive right in. 
our first question. So just to let you know, I will be asking all our presenters questions and they will also be commenting on each other's questions. So presenters, you are invited to comment if you have something, some special tidbit that you would like to add to the answer of um, the person that, that has answered the question, feel free to do so. But remember also that we have a, we have a time constraint. So please watch that as well. Amen. Pastor Joe, we begin with you. The first question comes to you. We read this year in 2021, the entire Bible. How can we be sure that the Bible is the word of God? If God exists, and I believe he does exist, then I believe it's reasonable to think that he would somehow communicate with us. Once the need for communication is established, then the next question is, what is the way of communication that God chooses or has chosen to get in touch with us, to communicate, to convey his message to us. When it comes to discerning which source of communication and what means of communication is God's way of communication, I believe it's important to go and research the intrinsic quality and also the effect of uh, that possible source and means of communication. When it comes to the Bible, the writers of the Bible say it expressly that they got their revelation from God. Now the question is, is that true or false? Do you have uh, enough information to be able to test, to be able to check whether what those people said is true or false. Mm -hmm. But the same question you can ask uh, with regard to any kind of other book or means of communication. For instance, if you take the Bible and the Quran, mm. the same questions must be asked about one and the other. But then you can also ask the question, what is the effect of one or the other? And when you look at the Bible, you see that somebody that reads the Bible, after a certain time, will realize that it's not him or her reading the Bible, it's the Bible reading him or her. Mm. This is a very interesting reality. Ooh, nice. When, when it flips around, and, uh, and that's the, the intrinsic value of the Bible. Beyond prophecy, beyond the historical data that is in the Bible, it is this transforming power that makes, for me at least, the Bible so valuable. Because yes, I read the Bible and I read other books as well. But when I read the Bible, I notice that after a certain time, it's not me reading the Bible, it's the Bible reading me. Mm -hmm. And it's God speaking to me. Mm -hmm. It's subjective to a certain degree, 
That's why I do not think you can reasonably shut out every doubt or possible doubt, not doubt, possibility of doubt. So it, it has a strong component of faith. Once you get in touch, get in contact with God, the one who speaks to the Bible, you have a certainty, a uh, subjective reality that no matter who wants to challenge cannot be really demolished because it's my reality. I lived it. I have experienced it. And that's why it's my own understanding. Beautiful, beautiful. I love your comment on how you said the Bible begins to read us. Do any of you have any comments to that? Um, beautifully said. And um, I want to jump on a point where Pastor Joe men uh, mentioned um, the, the, the significance of faith in accepting the Bible as, as God's words and, and a very beautiful um, comparison with the, with the Quran. Um, it, it's it's what, ha what, what it does, right? right? What the Bible invites us, how the Bible, Bible invites us to live after we have read it. Um, the responsibility it places upon us. The, um, when you read the Bible, you are left with an impression that there, even if there, and, and even if there, there is some doubt, there is still a very heavy impression that the, that I am responsible to a being that is that is a, a, a sovereign being. There is that sense that 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 comes out to one uh, to me when I read the Bible, and it leaves me with a sense of responsibility. Right to live up to that to that calling that that yearning that connection that I sense with yes. the divine other after reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. So, well, as Pastor Joe mentioned, there there, there there are some potentiality for doubt that you know whether there's a God or this is a God's word. But once you read the Bible, even if you have doubts, you will always come away with some faith that indeed there's a sovereign being beyond all of us, and I'm responsible to that being in how I live my life. If I may add just one thought here for those that want to look at it from a very rational perspective. Did you know the Bible is the number one bestseller book? Ever. Yes. Ever. More time. Mm -hmm. Ever. Yep. Ever. That's right. Well, somebody may say, so what's, what's such a big deal about it? It means that the best movie or the, the, the movie that made the most money is uh, also coming from God? I'm not saying that. <laughs> but then if you, if you look at the overall picture, I think it is significant, the fact that the Bible is the best seller, the number one bestseller of all times. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing about the Bible, when when I think about that comment that you made, how the Bible reads us, you can pick up the Bible at any point in your life and you can go back to a same text, perhaps as a favorite parable or a favorite story. And no matter how many times you have read it, you will see how the Bible then parallels now 
at each step that you're going through, it parallels your life. So you can read the story of David and Bathsheba or, or, or um, of Mary, and you can, you can relate to that at different points in your life. And this is how I know God speaks, right? Because God lets the Bible speak through you and connect with you at each different point. That's how I know. And I'm sure that the Bible is the word of God. Thank you so much, Pastor Joe, for that beautiful answer to this question. Karina Edwards was is one of our youth hosts, and she was on every fourth week until she left us to go to college a few months ago. She was unable to join us live tonight, but she would like to share a few words with other youth and young adults who are searching for God and are contemplating reading the Bible. Please watch as she has a few special words to share with you. Hey everyone, um, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm so sorry that I can't join you live at this time. I've been really busy at college for a couple months, but I'm here now just to give you a couple words of wisdom regarding spirituality and reading the Bible. Um, as someone that is a youth, I know that it can sometimes be really, really, really hard um, to navigate spirituality, what it is, who's this higher power, what's right and wrong, um, understanding the Bible in general. Um, and that's still difficult for me sometimes. Um, and I can't say that spirituality is a one size fits all. It's definitely a spectrum depending on who you talk to and it's different for everyone. Um, however, what I can do is give you two or three um, nuggets that have helped me um, throughout my walk, throughout my spiritual journey. So the first thing, number one, um, it is important for you to find something that you enjoy where you feel most connected to God. So for me, right, I've been an active member of Plantation SCA Church for about 10 or so years. And something that makes me happy and something that I enjoy in the church is singing and participating in praise and worship. I feel closest to God when I'm singing or doing praise and worship. For you, that may be coordinating a service or participating in a choir or singing on a praise team or preaching. Or it could even be doing your devotion every morning and night in your room by yourself. But whatever it is, find something that allows you to feel closest to God. The second thing I would advise you to do is not only read the Bible and pray, but also to read the Bible in context. While the Bible is a holy book, and it is a divine book, I'm sure, and I agree, it also is a cultural book. It also is a historical book. So remember, read in between the lines. Do your research. Don't just read the Bible by itself. Remember, this book is an incredible book full of, with stories of the rising and falls of kings and incredible stories of faith. But also remember that there's things to consider. And I learned that so very much, especially on um, working with Pastor Kevin McCoy and Olivia and all the discussions that we've had during the Bible and Mass series. And it's been so profound learning about, huh, I never thought about things this way or I never knew that this was the history behind this. Um, and so while it's good um, to follow the scripture and to look at the scripture and to understand it in its entirety. Remember to also read the Bible in context and also pray. Yes, most important thing, pray before reading, pray before reading, ask God to give you the discernment and the openness so that you can understand everything and use your interpretation as much as you can. So those are my two um, things that I wanted to share with you, my words of wisdom. So I hope you guys have enjoyed the Bible in Mass and have a good night, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the program. 
Thank you so much, Karina. Our next question goes to you, Pastor Dexter. And this question reads, we read the books of first and second Peter, first, second and third John and Jude this week. What is the takeaway from these books? Um, so for first Peter, he's dealing with the, 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 the church on the fire, dealing with them being persecuted. And I think the two verses that speaks to what the, the, the book deals with is chapter one and verse seven that speaks about, don't be surprised by the strange fire. Um, and then four and verse 12 talks about you will undergo fiery trials. It's the book that talks about the devil is like a roaring lion seeking mm. he may devour. But what I get from first Peter is you could stand strong and be, and, and be strengthened through your walk with your savior. Second Peter mirrors the book of Jude where they're dealing, where they deal with the false immoral prophets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not mm-hmm. only these prophets immoral. What Peter and Jude does is that they show your morality connects to your theology. People who live low, dung, rotten, dirty lives. In other words, people are usually dung on what they're not up on. Tell us, Pastor Dex. Yeah, so if, 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 if you don't live right, you're going to come up with, with reasons and rationale to justify living however you please. And that's mm-hmm. what they do in Second Peter and Jude. In fact, they go so far that they become mockers and scoffers in Second Peter 3. He says that they get to the place where they say, look, there's, there's not even, the, the Lord has been promising to come. The last days are here again. It's always been here. And he's not going to come. And Peter points out, look, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises, but he's long suffering to us what that none would perish, but it all would come to repentance. John, unlike Peter, John needed to deal with the, the Gnostics, um, which, which that word comes from Ginosko. Um, it's, it's people who thought that, that there was a separation between the spirit and the flesh. So they believe that Christ really, the, 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 the God didn't die. Is a phantom that really died on the cross because God cannot die. So, so John, he is battling the Gnostics. He's battling the darkness that their belief creates. So throughout the book, he's talking about light and darkness. He's battling the fact, he's battling their dualistic view of God. Mm. A good summary of John would be 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20, or is that 420? When he says, how could you say you love God? who you have not seen, but you hate your, your brother, who you could see, touch, and, and experience. That is absolute rubbish. Um, so that's what John does. This, the second epistle, he deals, with, he deals with safe guarding your fellowship um, against falsehoods. So, so in verse 10 of second John, I mean, this is some strong language. He's like, look, if they, don't, if they don't believe and they teach falsely, don't even have them in your house. Do not even have them in your house. And, and then third John, and I know all of us love that verse too. Mm. I want you to prosper and be in good health. Mm. As your soul prospered. He, in, in my mind, that, that second book deals with how do you enrich relationships um, that have been battered? 
Because um, in Third John, he says, look, I, I don't want to keep writing with you with ink. I don't want to just be on Zoom with you. Mm. I want to see you face to face, you know? So, 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 so you see a more intimate side of, of the apostle where he wants to touch and be touched. Um, and I kind of gave you already Jude. I hope you're paying attention. I gave you Jude when I likened it on the second Peter. <laughs> yes. but, but his big thing is how do we contend for the common faith? You know, and he speaks about the liars, um, the lust, the, those driven by their lust and how they were corrupt. And he likened them to some of the, um, the folks in the Old Testament that abandoned their faith. But one promise we get from Jude is, look, look, he's saying, God is not able only to forgive us from when we fall, this is Jude 24, but he's also able to keep us from falling. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Our fifth week presenters were Pastor Paul Anderson and his wife, Lenny. They could not be here tonight, but would like to share a few words with you. Please watch. Greetings, everyone. Hello, guys. This journey has been awesome. I have gained so much and I've been so excited that we get to share our home and our hearts with everyone. And, and the, the greatest thing has just been, has been seeing the perspective and um, answering the different questions that everyone has had. And I know that the way that this has impacted me is just seeing the different connections in the Bible. And as we study and learn and ask different questions, I just want to encourage you that there's so much more to know. And when you see those connections in the Bible and you start to just search through and, and, and if you're searching for something, you see the, the, the same theme show up somewhere else again. So the Bible is just so multifaceted and that's what I really love and I'm so excited about. Absolutely. The Bible is so intricately connected and, you know, it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle. And once it all comes together, uh, the picture that it displays is Christ. And, you know, for me, the beauty about the scriptures is that you are growing in Christ. Okay. We come to the scriptures to grow and to understand and to, uh, you know, to learn. And, you know, the, the characters and, and the experiences and all the, the, the many nuances that we find in the Word is just, it, 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 it's just awesome. And at the end of the day, it all points to Christ. So, you know, the Bible tells us that it is in Him we live, we move, and have our being. So for me, you know, this experience is all about Jesus Christ. Uh, the fact that He offers salvation now and that He offers eternal life now. Uh, and, I, I, and I'm enjoying all of that in Him. And when I come to the Bible, I come to grow in Him. So uh, I've been... I've been greatly impacted uh, in that I, I have a greater appreciation for some of these stories that we have heard uh, growing up. Uh, we get some depth and some, some insights uh, that were shared by many of the presenters. I, I, I've loved 
listening to all the presenters. Um, and I have to say, this was truly a journey of exploration throughout the year. So I want to thank uh, everyone for being with us this year. It's been awesome. God bless you. Principal Stevenson, we now come to you. We also read the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible this week. Would you please provide for us the historical background for Revelation and tell us why it was written? Revelation covers, um, the, covers six um, Roman, uh, Roman Caesars, basically. We start with Nero who, you know, is, is famously unhinged mm -hmm. and he started a, a, um, a, a attacking the Christians after he framed them for the burning of Rome. Right. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't, he wasn't really despotic beyond Rome when it came to the Christians. He sort of just focused on the Roman Christians and, and left the Christians in the rest of the empire to their own devices. So if there was um, any, um, anybody persecuting Christians there, it was just the typical angry Jews and, and, um, and uh, people who, are, who are sold idols and those kinds of things who got grumpy with the Christians, but there was nothing official. Um, and uh, he ruled for about 15 years. After him came Vespasian, who was an excellent ruler. He restored order to the empire. Um, and he, uh, interestingly enough, managed to rule for 15 years. He did great. Um, he was a great ruler. Um, he had a couple of sons, um, Titus, who, uh, who uh, ruled from um, 79 to 81. And uh, he was a, a pretty solid ruler like his dad. But then we have Domitian, okay, and... He was not a great ruler. Um, in fact, he instigated uh, wor worship of himself. He considered himself a deity. Um, he uh, persecuted uh, Christians quite terribly. Um, was not was not a was not considered a great ruler. And in fact, finally, when he ended his reign, when his reign finally ended, he was he was. Uh, generally considered one of the uh, worst rulers that Rome ever had, even worse than Nero, interestingly enough. Really? Um, Nero, Nero's excesses were limited to Rome, where uh, Dominion, he was empire-wide, he was a madman, he was a despot, he... Um, he didn't just persecute the the the, Jew, the Christians, but also the Jews and the Senate. He hated anybody telling him what to do or could limit his power. He considered himself a god. And so nobody was sad when he uh, finally died. Um, Nerva came along, and really there's not much about him in history. He only ruled for uh, two years. And then we have uh, Trajan, who was a great ruler. Uh, Trajan was the one also who, who under, under his rule, whether he did it or not, under his rule, uh, John was freed from Patmos 
and uh, there was a great restoration of law and order in the Roman Empire, and things ran pretty well. Um, but the, the, the book of Revelation itself, although, and, and this, 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 would, this would be quite a, a deep discussion, um, because there are parallels between what was happening in Roman history as well as pointing to the future. And you see the same thing happen in some of the prophecies Jesus made um, when, when, when we read earlier on as well. So, so there are parallels with, with current times and then future times, but the book of Revelation really was penned to give us any, a basic roadmap, a, mm -hmm. a thumb sketch. And this is where we've got to be careful because the Seventh-day Adventist Church itself, as well of, as, of, as others, tried to predict the future using Revelation. That's right. And although there are echoes of the future in Revelation, um, as we as we've discussed earlier on in, in our in our in our travel through the Bible, the um, prophecies in the Bible are really more like markers that we recognize after we've passed them. Right. Because we're not a hundred percent sure. It gives us sort of a, a a a basic idea of what to look forward to and what's going to happen. Uh, you know, we had the great disappointment in 1844 because of a misunderstanding and a misreading of Scripture and, and placing dates. And we've been warned, we've been warned not to try to predict the second coming and the date of the second coming. That's something we really need to avoid. We know it's going to happen. We have seen most of the signs in Revelation come true. We are, are, are seeing prophecies fulfilled at an, an, at an incredibly increased rate over the past 15, 20 years. And so we're, we're seeing it happen. It, again, it, when, when those road signs, when those predictions come true, we can recognize them and move forward. But it was really written down to encourage us that what Jesus said about the second coming is, is true. And I see it a lot like um, the shepherds coming to Mary and Joseph when they were in Bethlehem. You know, they were sitting in Bethlehem and they were questioning how on earth could the Son of God be born in a manger? That's right. Okay. And they were thinking, what, 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 what was I just imagining it when angels came and spoke to me earlier and told me that the baby was going to be born because this just doesn't fit. And then all of a sudden, God sent reassurance mm -hmm. to Joseph and Mary while they were there in, in, in terrible circumstances with the God, Son of God being born. And I preached this in a sermon last Sabbath, but it, it, the whole story is absolutely powerful. And when you um, look at what Christ being in the manger actually represented, yes. Bethlehem, you know, and, and you know, being yes. the perfect lamb of God and Bethlehem being the place where the most perfect lambs were, were, were born and sent to the temple. I mean, all of that stuff fell in line. And the Bible says that, that, that when this happened, Mary was able to, um, to remember 
these things and tuck them away in her mind to help her realize that what is what, what was prophesied was going to happen was true. And so just like the Bible showed that happening in Christ and the reassurance to Mary, we see Revelation as reassuring us. Yes. Reassuring us. As it happens, not going into the future, we, we make that mistake, but as it happens, we can recognize that the Lord has spoken about it, it's going to happen, and it also points clearly to the second coming of Jesus Christ, and that if all these other things are going to happen according to the prophecies, that the second coming of Jesus Christ is true, it's going to happen, to stay firm, stay focused, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Let, let me let me add to, to what um, Elder Rob just said. And what you said is it's so truthful, but it's very, um, especially for people who are addicted to doomsday predictions. <laughs> yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. that's right. It's, yep. it's I want to avoid that, but you jump in. You jump it, in. It, it's very uninspiring because we love to predict the future. We love to do that. And, and you, you're saying like Jesus, Jesus said, you know the things which I, I spoke is true after they come to pass. Mm-hmm. But we're like, but we're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, let me find you a verse in Revelation and show you this is gonna happen because then we become fortune tellers. And, and you're basically saying, God didn't call you to be no fortune teller. No, not at all. It, again, it, it's written to encourage us so that when it happens, it points us to Jesus Christ Love every it. time. Love Amen. It. Love it. it. Love it, yes. And Principal Principal Rob, I love how you referenced Mary and the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. For those of you who don't know, Bethlehem in Hebrew is Beit Lechem, which means the house of bread. And I love it that the word of God came from the house of bread, the bread of life came from the house of bread. And so it's just, it's just wonderful. It is wonderful. Do anyone else want to jump in on this? Otherwise I will move on to the next question, which is coming to you, Pastor Dexter. Um, You just encapsulated in what you said, how people are looking at, are used to looking at revelation with gloom and doom and especially you know for young people and young adults i remember when i was growing up and the revelation seminars came through to our church and you know honestly the evangelist he was putting up all these pictures of these beasts and they were horrifying looking at that did not want me to make me inclined to want to learn about revelation at all you know and so The question here is, if someone is not familiar with Revelation, or if someone does not read it, but does not understand and wants to have a better understanding of Revelation, how would you give a overview of this book that would invite people to get engaged with it? Very good question. So, so the, you know, Revelation chapter one, it, it calls it the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Revelation means to reveal, not to conceal. The, yes. the, book, the book is not a big, it's not meant to be this big, mysterious book. It's mm-hmm. meant to be a book that gives insight and clarity to the beauty that, that, that is within Christ. Here is John. He is, he is marooned. He is in quarantine 
on the Isle of Patmos. He's not allowed, not allowed to interact with anybody, except what they did not know is John had a friend named Jesus. Yes. And Jesus, Jesus connects to his brother, John, and begins to show him pictures of, of, of a life that he's preparing for him and for those John has been ministering to, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, so throughout the book, there, there, there is also judgment to people like those who marooned John on the island who will be severely punished. You know, so, so Revelation 1 is, is John encounters Jesus. 2 and 3, Jesus is walking through his church. And, and, and the Old Testament reader, there are over 2,000 allusions and quotes and, and references right. to the mm-hmm. Old Testament in the book of Revelation, right? So you, 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 you can actually read Revelation through the, ca- the Jewish agricultural calendar year. Yes, yes. There's the feast you know, replicated the sanctuary imagery replicated in the book of Revelation. So it's it's beautiful, just portraying Christ. So two and three, he's walking through the churches, chastising, encouraging. In four and five, we, we, we see a vision of heaven, living creatures, you know, holy, holy, holy. In chapter six, the 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 the, the horror of the coming for some people. Um, and then who is able to stand is answer in chapter seven, those yes. who are sealed. Right? Eight, there is silence in heaven. Nine, the horsemen. Ten, the, the cry to prophesy again. Eleven, about the, the, the two witnesses. Twelve, um, Jesus being birthed and the dragon pursuing him. E, e, Thirteen, it talks about the beast. Right? And the 666, you can't buy or sell. It sounds like the mandates, right? In, in, in 14, the three angels. In, in, in 15, the sea of glass, right? Singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. In 16, the most dreadful chapter, which is the seven plagues. In 17, we have a picture of the, of, 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 of the papacy riding on a horse. In 18, right? The fourth angel message enlightening the entire world with the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. In 19, we see Jesus riding on a horse, right? He's coming to take his kingdom. And 20 to 22, you have now um, the judgment, you have the new earth, and you have, you have Jesus saying to John, look, man, I am root and the offspring of Jesse. I'm first, I'm last. So the book ends with John connecting with Jesus. It begins with John connecting with Jesus and it ends with Jesus filling him with hope and assurance of his presence and his pending coming. Amen. You know, Pastor Dexter, for those who've had, who have gloom and doom sitting on their shoulders after hearing how you just encapsulated revelation in just a few short words and the energy and spirit and enthusiasm in which you just gave us little tidbits of things to look forward to i dare you all now to have that enthusiasm and to look now at revelation if you have not done so yet you see what we have been provided and go search for it further we have Sister Elizabeth sitting right next to Pastor Dex. And for those of you who do not know who she is, she is his wonderful wife. Hallelujah. And, yes, hallelujah. That's right. You sing her praises. You, she, is, she has hosted the Bible Unmasked with Pastor Dexter every single third week of this month. Um, Elizabeth, you shared on one of the episodes that reading the Bible together and getting ready for the Bible Unmasked 
has helped you develop a stronger bond with your husband. How can you explain to us how this has helped you? I think when you work with anybody on a project, it you definitely grow closer together because you have the same purpose. Um, but some years ago, I can't remember when, um, somebody gave me this illustration that stuck with me um, about if you imagine a triangle and at the top is God and on both of the other points is you and your spouse, or it could be in another relationship you're in. And as both of you are working towards God, you, that triangle then gets closer and closer. And so um, as we have been working together on this project, among many other projects, um, this and with God at the center of it, um, he has brought us together closer. Oh, wow. Beautiful. <laughs> Pastor Dex, you seem surprised. Why are you surprised? Oh, <laughs> I'm blown away. <laughs> Good stuff. What has been your what has been your experience working with your wife? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, I never knew my wife could moderate so professionally. I was like, excuse me, pardon me. You know, I was really impressed. I'm like, whoa, that's your moderating voice? I never heard that before. Um, and yeah. you know, like Liz said, every time we had to prepare for it, it really revived um and strengthened her in Christ. In fact, sometimes she was mad with me, but when she had to prepare for it, she's like, you know what? You know what? Let's get things. Let's get it's like communion. Like communion. Like, yeah, let's get let's get this right before we go, we go and present God's word. I'm like, we need to do this every week. <laughs> So, so you are encouraging now, the both of you are encouraging our, our married viewers to delve into the word together, not just apart, but by your example and also by the example of Pastor Paul and his wife, Lenny, you have grown, you have grown this year. And not only, not only in biblical knowledge, of course, but you have grown together spiritually especially and and in all ways so when you're taking that time with god it's also has been a time for us just to connect mm -hmm. um, we have a toddler and you know a lot of times during the day she takes that you know a yes. lot of her energy and our time whatever and you know sometimes it's like do we even have time to talk with each other um but you know that time in god's word is a set aside time where it's you know she's off to sleep and now it just is us and we can connect and connect on a, a more of an intellectual level than with God also at the center of that. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So there's some encouragement there for um, all of our married couples watching and viewing and not only for our married couples, but for those of you who are just dating and and looking to deepen your relationship together. When you come together and study the word together, um, it provides deeper insight, not only into your partner, but also into Christ Jesus. So that also builds that foundation. Thank you so much, Elizabeth and Pastor Dexter. Olivia Smith was our host for our fourth week, and she did an amazing job and was very insightful. She too wanted to be here with us tonight, but because she couldn't, she would like to share with you in this next video what it meant for her to read the Bible this year and how she has been impacted by it. Presenting to you, Olivia. Hey, church family. Bible unmasked. I mean, I don't know 
the words to describe what this experience has taught me. Um, walking through the Bible, but literally having a pastor or someone who just knows the word in depth be able to answer those questions on the spot and have dialogue and go back and forth with them, where even if a question may not have been asked on the, you know, the pre-sent questions, but if there's something popped, if something popped in my mind and I was able to ask that question right away, being able to get that answer immediately was an amazing experience. It literally brought the Bible to life for me. I, I've read, I mean, I think I've read the Bible cover to cover, but being able to literally just go in depth and take away. And then also the fact that, of course, I had to prepare for each for each session. So that means I have to go and study the word a little bit more and study it on a different level than I normally do. I mean, this has been a fulfilling experience for me, and I really and truly hope that it has been a fulfilling experience for everyone that has tuned in and watched. And what's amazing about this is they're online. So if you didn't get a chance to start, go back to January and start and start watching it now because you will be fulfilled. Your life will be changed and you will walk away with a deeper understanding of the word. Blessings to everybody. Thank you so much, Olivia, for your insight and your heart. Because the book of Revelation can be hard to understand, the majority of our questions tonight will focus on Revelation. And so we will stay right here. Pastor McCoy, the next question is coming to you. What is the significance of the seven churches and the sanctuary in Revelation chapters two and three? All right, thank you. Um, I get to attempt uh, at beating the shine of the ball. Uh, Dexter? <laughs> I have to beat the shine of the ball. All right, so let's, let's take it. Um, uh, let's deal with the seven churches first, and then I will uh, address the, uh, the sanctuary. So uh, one of the things that was emphasized um, um, by Principal Rob and, and, and Dr. Dex is, the is that the revelation was addressed to people who were dealing with, with specific issues. Mm -hmm. This is not a fairy tale, right? Mm -hmm. These seven churches, as much as John is... Um, using symbolisms and, and tropes and um from the old testament to to describe what he's talking about to reveal right what he's talking about we, we still have to hone in on the fact that this these churches were were real churches with people who were going through real issues right mm -hmm. and so when right. they were written and notice how they were written to in, in they were written in a letter because revelation its format in some ways is like a letter, right? Because it's, it's addressed to the seven churches when you look in chapter one. But notice that even though messages are addressed to each of the individual seven churches, each church is reading, has the opportunity to read also the message from the other churches, right? So that, that's important to note, and we'll see why that's important to note. So first, these are churches that were in existence and the members were ex experiencing existential issues. They were under the under the, the under persecution. Um, they were looking for hope, um, and John was revealing to them this Jesus of hope, right? So there are different ways that people have uh, attempted to interpret these these churches, and uh, one of the ways um, have is to look at it historically, as I've mentioned, 
to look at it in um, what it meant in its historical context, these churches. But also there's also a, um, a prophetic approach to looking at these seven churches. As we mentioned, the book of Revelation, it is apocalyptic, it's, it's also prophetic in, in, in nature. And so a prophetic stance um, when considering the seven churches suggests that um, the seven churches represents the experience of the church in a specific period of time throughout uh, the Christian history until Christ comes. So here's what I mean. Um, um, Ephesus represents the church of the first century era, right? The, the, the experience of the church of Ephesus that is described in um, Revelation is coincides with the experience of the, the first century church. Um, Smyrna um, coincides with the church in the, which experienced persecution in the second and the third century and on and on. So one approach is to take it to mean that these seven churches outline the history of the church or the future of the church, how you want to read it, until Christ comes. Notice, yes, that's one approach, but there's also the, the, the reality that churches and individuals have these various experiences at different points in time, even in, in one lifetime. And mm -hmm. by lifetime, I mean like uh, a church's existence, a person's life, right? So these churches are significant um, because they, they, they reveal some of the issues that church members will experience, churches will experience, and how they can remedy those experiences, right? Because as, as I was mentioned later on in another question, you find issues, but Christ recommends to them how they can get out of these issues. And, and that they can have right to the tree of life or they can have eternal life. Mm -hmm. well, there's something important that, that um, Revelation 1 uh, 12 and 16 tells us about these churches, right? It tells us that these churches are under the complete control of Christ. And mm. Christ knows exactly what the church will go through. So mm -hmm. that was supposed to send a, a message of comfort to the believers who were having various experiences. One, because Christ was walking among the lampstands right, representing mm, the churches, right. and he also had the stars in his hands, which were the that's messengers right. of the church, or the leaders, or the pastors, or the evangelists, which were representatives of the church, the angels, so the message that is clear, the church will go through various challenging experiences, but as the church goes through these experiences, the church is to be reminded, God knows what you are going through, but also you are in God's hands. God Amen. is in complete control. Amen. So mm -hmm. that's the seven churches for briefly, right? Now to the sanctuary. This is a more um, um, far-reaching one. Uh, but when you look in Revelation chapter 1, one thing is, is very clear when we consider verses 13 through 20. One thing is very clear is that Christ has, Christ is still working on behalf of God's people. Hmm. Because we see him dressed in a priest's garment yes. and we see him walking in, 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 in the sanctuary, right? Walking in the sanctuary. So it, it tells us that Christ is right now in the heaven, is, is right now ministering on our behalf as our yes. high priest. Christ is our high priest. That's one of the, the first thing that Revelation tells us when it comes to the sanctuary. Christ is ministering on our behalf. And so there's still opportunity for mm. repentance. 
there is still opportunity to get it right with God before all the judgment comes, everything comes, Christ is there mediating and functioning on our behalf as our high priest in heaven. That's one thing. Now, there's another study I looked at where the book of Revelation is drawing on Old Testament imagery, symbolisms, yes. and tropes to as a structure for the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean. Before each of the sevens in Revelation, there is a sanctuary scene. Here's what I mean. So in, in Revelation chapter 1, 9 through 20, we find Christ in the sanctuary walking among the candlesticks and having the stars. And then we find the messages to the seven churches. Mm -hmm. Then in chapters four and five, we see Christ, you know, as this lamb who was slain, right? Um, sanctuary image again. And then we have the opening of the seven seals. Now, it, this is happening throughout Revelation. So Revelation takes the, the sanctuary typology, the system of the, of the sanctuary, as kind of a framing, a framing reference for how the book of Revelation is written. So Revelation is the sanctuary and the sanctuary is Revelation. That's one of the easiest way to say it. Wow, yes. Uh -huh. Because the sanctuary is big on Revelation as was hinted to um, by Dr. Dex, right? So um, that, that, that Revelation, that Revelation um, in the seven churches reminds us that Christ is in control of the church's history, throughout history and, and the church, Christ knows what the church is going through and that Christ as a high priest is, uh, ministering in the sanctuary and that revelation draws on the typological system of the sanctuary as a framework for, for the, the, the book itself tells us that this indeed is all about Christ. Amen. This is Amen. indeed the revelation of Christ. Christ in the sanctuary, Christ in control of all that will happen, all the imagery, all the monsters, all the beasts, um, all the horror stories, <laughs> all the scary movies. <laughs> It's all about Christ and God's people coming out victorious. That's that's how I would sum up those that that question. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. So, in a nutshell, Revelation and what you just summed up covers then, and it covers us now. God knowing His church then and walking amongst them and interceding then, and God knowing our churches now, the problems that are we facing now, 2021, COVID-19, all these different plagues that we are going through, and he's still interceding with the Father for us. Yes. So it's applicable then, 2,000-something years ago, and it's still applicable now. You're right. Yes. Do not yes. be scared. Christ is in control. Amen. Amen. Pastor Joe, our next question comes to you. There has been much symbolism. There has been many different pictures that we have of Revelation. But when we think of Revelation, why are themes so important in the book? Well, the easy answer is I don't know. And I'm saying that because I have seen throughout my existence that the thematic study of the book of Revelation has been very emphasized. Mm. And indeed, if you look at the book of Revelation and you just read through it, you will see themes like the victory of the Lamb, 
mm-hmm. or the controversy, the battle between good and evil, or you have the sanctuary theme that mm-hmm. um, McCoy mentioned. You also have uh, the festivals, right? So there are themes in the book of Revelation. In my opinion, though, more important than the themes is the structure, chronology, yes. and if you want something that brings everything together, the story. Yes. The story mm-hmm. that is being told. The book of Revelation tells the story between uh, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and uh, all the way out to the end. But this story is written differently. It's not written mm-hmm. in a more Greek mind. And when I say Greek mind, I mean by that the intellectual frame of mind that the schools of this world have somehow imposed on us. Mm-hmm. Mm. Every culture has a different way of thinking, uh, but somehow academia has brought to us a pattern in which you have introduction, body, and conclusion, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, not everything is written like that. And the book of Revelation definitely is not written like that. It's written according to a specific Hebrew structure, which is called a chiastic structure. Right. And this chiasm looks like the roof of a house. Mm-hmm. When you have, <clears throat> where you have the main idea on top, right, there at the summit, and then on one side and the other, you have parallel ideas yep. that go toward that main point. Mm-hmm. And that's the core, the essence of the story. So when we read the book of Revelation, we can be held by the structure because if we know where the middle of the story is, that essence, that, that core, that heart, like uh, in our case, chapter 12 to 14, then you can go on one side and the other side and you can see the parallelism and you can understand the connections let me let me point out one of the challenges that can happen when somebody only looks at it thematically. Mm-hmm. For instance, you look at the theme of the throne of God, a beautiful theme in the book of Revelation. But if you don't know structure, if you don't understand how the chiasm works, then you go to chapters four and five, and you will say that's the investigative judgment or the final Mm -hmm. judgment scene when Mm -hmm. in fact it has nothing to do with that because the pattern of the book says that the first uh, structure of seven the seven churches have to do with uh, passover the jewish festival of passover then the second seven the seven seals have to do with the day of pentecost so this scene in chapters four and five does not deal with the judgment, the final judgment, or the pre-advent judgment. It deals with the day of Pentecost. So then the question is, how does that theme 
of the throne of God illuminate the essence of the story in that particular segment of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, as I said, things are important and beautiful, but I think it can be misleading unless they are, those themes are placed in the right structure. Any other thoughts that anyone would like to add to that? Yeah, well said. Um, um, and and I, I, I appreciate how um, Pastor Joe emphasized the importance of, of structure, right? Um, because there are multiple themes which are brought together and, and um, made meaning of based on the structure of, of Revelation. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that. And the classic structure is not only found in Revelation, it's found throughout um, several books of the Bible. You find it especially through, I believe, Psalms is one of them. And if you just read how, you know, how it matches up along the way. The parallelism. Parallelism, yes. Chiasm uses is something very specific in uh, Jewish literature, in Hebrew art. Mm -hmm. Like uh, you have other mental maps or pictures. Right. Um, for instance, in uh, the German or Germanic way of thinking, you have uh, thesis, antithesis, and then, then you have synthesis, mm -hmm. right? Or in the Bantu, uh, Bantu um, um, thinking, you have a structure like a flower. You, you put petal after petal and petal after petal. It's like a story. Everybody says something about that thing. And in the end, you have a beautiful product. Mm -hmm. what, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to emphasize is that there's, there's more than just one way of looking at reality. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? And for us, it's important to get to know the culture, the thought process, the mentality of the Bible. And structure is part of that. Thank you, Pastor Joe, thank you. We have a next question, and this question I will give to all of the panelists. The question comes from Revelation chapter 11. Who are the two witnesses of chapter 11 and what do they represent? And I'm about to sense, I'm sensing a little showdown or rumble because I know I, that there are differing opinions here. So take it away, Pastor Dex. I, I think it's um, the Old and New Testament, and I know no one would agree with that, disagree with that. But th th that's what I've heard. I've seen kind of um, presentations lining up that they were the Old and the New Testament thrown out during the French Revolution, especially. Okay. Yes, uh, if I may give a little background to it. So in uh, the book of Revelation, we have those two witnesses because witnesses are important in a trial. Hmm. We often speak about us being judged based on the book of Revelation. And we speak about uh, pre-advent judgment or investigative judgment, and then the final judgment, and then post-advent judgment. And that's there in the book of Revelation. But in the book of Revelation, God is also being judged. He's on right. trial too. Right, right. One of the very interesting pictures of the book of Revelation is that you have first, in chapter 11, you have two witnesses, 
right? And the final moment in chapter 11 is when the two witnesses go up hmm. cloud. And then when you look later on, it's not only two witnesses, it's three witnesses. You have You're talking about when they were transfigured. Message. So it's not only two, it's three witnesses. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, very significant because in the Jewish way of thinking, again, in court, you needed two or three witnesses. Or three right. witnesses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For general, casual things, two witnesses were enough. But if something was really pressing, really serious, it was good for you to have three witnesses. Mm. Now, based on that, the question is, contextually there, what can those witnesses really mean? The description of the two witnesses as two human beings very much bring to mind something from the book of Zechariah and uh, two pictures of uh, two very important representatives of the people. One is the priest, the high priest, Joshua, and the other one is the political representative or the prince, Zorobabel, mm-hmm. in, uh, in that context. Yeah. Now, this is what I see in the two pictures. We are called in the book of Revelation uh, that we are priests and kings, or kings and priests. And I believe what Dexter says is correct in the sense that, yes, we have uh, the Bible as uh, the witness, but everywhere in the Bible, you see that the Bible has to become flesh. And therefore, those who eat the Bible, so to speak, those become the witness. So while it's true that the Bible is the witness, those that are called in the Bible to be priests and kings for God, those are the incarnate, so to speak, Bible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that witness for Jesus Christ. Will become flesh. Yes, the word become flesh. So I, I somehow managed to bring you uh, together with me, uh, Pastor Dex. What, what, what would be the third witness, though? Because I, I, you know, it's funny, I've never heard this perspective. Yeah. And, and, and even if it was the Old and New Testament, I, I really don't even know where we got it from. I just run with what I've been given. But there, <laughs> but, but, no, because there was no New Testament then. There was literally no that, New that Testament. That is true. I didn't, want, I didn't want to go that far because yes. so <laughs> I, 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 I repeated what I was taught. But wh- no, you mentioned in Revelation 11, though. Let me let me pick your scholarliness. Well, I believe, be th- I believe I believe the picture of the book of Revelation with the two witnesses first and then the third witness with the three angels message is a uh, what, what is called in German Steigerung. When when something is enhanced, mm-hmm. when something is lifted to the next level, you had two, and now you have three. It's three messengers not only two. It's three witnesses in the courtroom of heaven where God's character is being judged, not only two. That's what I... What I so what's the, what, what's the third? So is the third... The... I don't have an identification for okay. them, for, for the third one. 
And I, I will tell you this. I don't believe the way we identify the two witnesses in chapter 11 has to be extrapolated and brought over to chapter 14, where mm. we have the three angels. I believe each setting, we should see what is happening in that setting. Again, the theme that can mess up uh, the structure and the story. So based on the structure though, and Pastor Jen, I hope you will probably skip some questions since this one is a you know juicy one. Based on the structure <laughs> though, based on the structure, that you described the chaotic structure where the where does chapter 11 fall in that because you 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 somewhat see 12 <laughs> as the pinnacle where would how does chapter 11 fit in that if i may in in the second structure of seven the seven seals right which goes from chapter four to chapter seven we have a parenthesis about the ceiling, right? And then in the third structure of seven, which means uh, from chapter eight up to the end of chapter 11, we also have a parenthesis between chapter 10 and uh, chapter 11, which clarifies the background or a sort of background to the sealing process described in chapter seven in the previous structure of seven. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Joe, Pastor Dex, for that explanation of chapter 11. Moving on, Pastor McCoy, we move on to Revelation chapter eight. What would you say is your understanding of the 30 minutes of silence found in chapter eight all right uh let me read that text for us and then uh, sorry it's revelation chapter eight verse verse one and uh here is how that reads when the lamb opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour all right, so silence. Pastor Joe gave a, a wonderful explanation about themes in the book of Revelation. Um, but here we are looking at how Revelation is making use, use of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. And we're going to see where, for one, because uh, these are, um, John is writing to, for the most part, Jewish people who are being persecuted. He wants to reveal to them something but at the same time, he's concealing it from other people, right? Mm -hmm. um, he's revealing it from others, uh, but concealing it from, from others. And so, you know, in, in how he does that, he does that by, uh, by using familiar language, um, imagery, tropes, and symbolisms. So take, for instance, how, um, how um, silence is used in the Old Testament, um, the Hebrew Bible. Take, let's take uh, Zephaniah chapter one, verse seven, right? Um, let, me, let me read a, a few verses. Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord has prepared the sacrifice. He has consecrated his guest. On that day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who dress themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish all who lead over the, thresh the thresholds will fill your master's house with violence and fraud. 
what we observe here is that silence um, precedes um, what appears to be judgment, right? Mm. So silent, silence precedes judgment, right? Um, we can find also in Job and in Zechariah. Now, when you look in the context of Revelation, how this is used, you can see an appeal or an allusion or use of how silence is used in Revelation. Because in chapter 7, we find a great rejoicing, right? Mm -hmm. You're rejoicing for the 144, and then we come now to, um, we're coming to chapter 8 now, where we are coming to the seven seals, where, where judgment is going to be unleashed. These, wow. these judgments which reflect or draw on the, the plagues of, of Egypt, right? So we're seeing John revealing to the people he's writing to. So listen, when he says silence, um, they, they, this would, would, would uh, have them hearten back to what they have known before about silence in Jewish understanding, Jewish writing, Jewish scriptures. And they would understand that God is about to execute divine judgment. Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the silence is an indication of awe. Oh, something's going to happen. Pay attention to this. Right? God is about to act. And so that's how we see, we see Revelation using silence in a similar way to how we see um, it being used in the Old Testament. Silence as um, an indication that divine action, judgment is about to, about to take place. And you're just crazy deep. Wow. I, so I, I, so not, not necessarily foreboding. It's a, it's a silence of expectation. Right, right. That's sweet. There is another way of looking at this uh, that goes in the same direction. You know, uh, in the seventh seal, that's when the silence appears. Right. And the sixth seal already brings in the signs of the end. So the coming of Jesus Christ is brought in in the sixth seal up to the point when he should appear. Hmm. So then I think it's reasonable to think that the silence in heaven, that half an hour of silence in heaven, has also to do with the fact that the angels of heaven will be out of that realm joining Jesus Christ as he comes down to bring judgment on one side and then also bring salvation on the other side, right? Uh, beside that, I've heard another explanation. Somebody was trying to prove with this Bible verse that there will be no women in heaven. I don't think that's <laughs> Repeat that. Just, did I hear, say don't, that again? Don't repeat that, please. <laughs> no, but, but you know, you know, and, uh, to, kind of similar to what Pastor Joshua shared, what I've heard people do with it, and, and this is where you could, you need to be so careful. And, and you need to ask yourself when you read Revelation, what do I learn about Jesus? And mm. I like that um, Elder Rob got us off on that because for each of these, there's the multiple explanations. Because one of the things I've heard is like, you know, the, the, a day is like a year in prophecy. Yes. So somehow somebody said, well, 30 minutes, they broke it down. Somehow they got seven <laughs> days out of it. <laughs> they got seven days out of 30 minutes, which meant that everybody will keep a Sabbath, especially for those who never kept the Sabbath. They'll get to keep a Sabbath so they know how the Sabbath is be kept, should be kept before they get to heaven. 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that interpretation too, but I've preferred to follow the line of how John is inviting me to, in, in, to interpret Revelation, right? Because John is, as I said, John is writing to a specific audience and he's appealing to their knowledge. He's, he's revealing, but he's also concealing. So I wanted to, to stay on that line, but I, I have heard that one, Dr. Dix, that to get to heaven, you have to keep a Sabbath on earth. And when that's, that silence symbolizes this, 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 this part of this journey where there's a Sabbath being kept on, on the way. Yeah, I've, I've heard that one before. Yeah. I believe the, the best exegetic way of looking at it is the one that Pastor McCoy. Yeah, same here, same here, same here. And um, the other one, the aspect of uh, the angels coming, joining Jesus Christ, coming mm -hmm. back, plays into that same scenario, mm -hmm. I believe. Mm -hmm. The one that Pastor Jen didn't get, that there will be no women in heaven, and that's why <laughs> there will be silence, you can discard that. Okay? That's a Thank you. That's a apocryphal. That was the first time I heard that. That's why I'm like, yeah, and you repeat what you just said. I've never heard that there. <laughs> well, 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 in some ways, when my sisters are noisy, I'm like, look, if you want to prepare for heaven, you got to be ah! <laughs> so, so, so you're taking on the role of Paul, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Um, next question, and I'm going to do uh, a little bit of more together participation, but I'm going to pose this question now to Principal Stevenson. Um, Principal Stevenson, we, it is obvious that in our discussion tonight that the Old Testament is very much connected to the New Testament. Why do you think the Old Testament is crucial to understanding the New Testament? I think what's what's crucial for for me for the Old Testament is the Old Testament um, every especially when you go into the sacrificial system, mm -hmm. but the whole life of Israel in many cases are allegorical of our relationship with Jesus Christ and our walk with Him. It shows, um, and and I. I believe that's why God chose the Jewish people. I, I've got many Jewish friends, and they're special people. And, and you know, God, God had a, a very special relationship with those people. And I had a friend who was a rabbi when I lived in Orlando. And he said, Jewish people are more human than all the other humans on, on earth. And, and I really, and that's an interesting way of looking at it because God chose the most human of humans to be able to live the allegorical life that he needed um, somebody to live to point to the second, to the first of all, the first coming of Jesus Christ and then to the second. That if you don't have that connection that connects humanity from the very beginning, from Genesis all the way through Matthew. If you don't have that connection, you don't see how God worked to make it all happen. And it mm -hmm. falls in line with, the, um, with why we have prophecy at the end of the Bible, but we've got this, the, the, this human living allegory taking place in the Old Testament. It's, it's so that you can see and understand how God lives, works, nurtures, tries to make this thing happen 
to work out the plan of salvation for humanity. Right. Yes. And so if you really try to divorce the New and the Old Testament, you don't get the full picture of God's long-term work to get mankind to where we are and get us to the end of Revelation, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, and that's why it's important for us to read the whole Bible. That's why this was such an important thing for our listeners. Yeah. That's to read right. the whole Bible. And I will tell you, I'm going to urge all of you, after you've read it once, go back and read it again each time you read that's it, right. more from it. And the connections start becoming stronger, and you start recognizing how important each connection is to connect the dots all the way through to the end. And so the, the Old Testament is is vital, vital, vital to understand how God works, how mankind changes, how spiritually humanity, and I hate to use this term, but spiritually the evolution of human spirituality, not human biology, which is rubbish, but human spirituality, how it changed and evolved and became what what, what we grew up into as we grew mm-hmm. up in. Christ, after Christ, all of those things are important pieces of the puzzle that makes God real for us and helps us, you know, that that difficult question of how do you know the Bible is real? You know the Bible is real because all the connections fit together ultimately. And it's not just one book written by one person. It's multiple books written by multiple people that all fit together, that lead us to a the logical conclusion and that is god's going to come to take us home yes sir we can't understand salvation unless we go through the old testament first amen amen Amen. i'd I'd like to get a one sentence answer from each of you on why you think the old testament is crucial to the new testament one sentence the old testament does not exist There's no Old Testament and New Testament. The whole Bible is one book. And everything up to the book of Revelation, everything is important for the understanding of the book of Revelation. Mm. Beautiful. That was three sentences as one. Excellent. Pastor Kevin, one sentence. Um, In mathematical terms. Mathematical terms. One plus one equal one. Um, as Pastor Joe mentioned, it's one book. And um, each part, as I mentioned in the example four, um, there wasn't a New Testament. And this is more than one sentence, right? Forgive me. <laughs> but at, at a point, there, there was an Old Testament. At a point, there wasn't a New Testament. Um, but they came together as God's word. And that's what we have. And that's what we accept and we live by. Amen. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Um, Moving on to another question that I am going to direct first to Pastor McCoy, but then I'd like another one sentence um, explanation here. Pastor McCoy, what is the significance of covenants in Revelation? All right. Um, this was this is not going to take one second passage in <laughs> or one sentence. I can assure I can assure you that as I leave through my Bible. Right, I, right. expen- I want your explanation, right, right. and then I want everyone else's um, take on it. 
Right. So covenants. Um, um, this year we, we had a wonderful quarter quarterly about covenants. Um, but covenants were important in um governing relationships, right? You have the vassal treaties, covenants um with, with kings and 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 servants, which which guided um, relationships. Um, and throughout the Bible, we saw a lot of that in, the, in, in Deuteronomy, right? In Deuteronomy in, in, the, in the Pentateuch. And as we've seen before, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, Pastor Joe mentioned this. They are writing conventions. They are writing their ways of, of, of writing that uh, people use in different ways. And so John uses the, the covenant format or formula um in in different ways in the book of revelation there are a few studies i looked at and one of them uh one of them uh saw the, the use of the covenant format in the messages to the churches right now there there are at least five elements to the covenant formula you have the preamble you have the prologue you have the stipulations or the demands you have the blessing and the curses and then you have the witness um one person took this format, right, this covenant format, and used it as a heuristic, as a, as a model to, to look at the speeches or, or the addresses to the churches. And when they did that, they found that the, the, the elements, um, there's, a, there's a mapping of the elements um, of, the for, of, the covenant, of the covenant formula, the treaty formula, and also how the speeches to the churches are written. So here, for instance, um, in each of the speeches, you'll find something like this, a preamble, thus says the one who, and there's a title for Christ, right? And right. this title oftentimes hearkens to chapter one, where Christ is seen, the one who is among the canvas stands, the one who has the stars in his hands, or the one who has the great hero, or something like that, a title. Then you have the prologue, which speaks about the past, the past relationship, our, our works, right? And so mm -hmm. Christ, you often hear Christ says in relation, I know your works. Mm. Right, so that's mm. that's the prologue, and then you have the stipulations, which is repent, or follow these instructions, and and that that constitutes the stipulations um, of the covenant treaty, and then you have the blessings and the curses. To the one who overcomes, um, will have the right. tree of life, or the one who, and then you have the witness, those who have hears that they hear. So mm. we find that in the speeches of Revel the addresses to the churches, we find the covenant format. Um, the speech is taken the, the format of, of the covenant treaty. Mm -hmm. There's another study I saw where the book of Revelation is itself um, outlined or organized as a covenant treaty, right? Where chapter one is seen as the preamble and chapter two and seven is seen, the seven letters is seen as a historical prologue, which looks at the, the situation. Then we have the stipulations, which are seen as the seven seals. And then you have the, the sanctions and or the blessings and the curses, which are looked at as the seven trumpets and, mm. and onward. So um, as Pastor Joe mentioned, structure is very, very significant. At once we saw how the sanctuary gave structure to Revelation. And here again, we are seeing how the covenant treaty format gives structure to the book of Revelation. So evidently, covenant is important, right? And we're going to see where um, we're... Um, People are going to be judged for breaking God's covenant. People are going to be blessed for observing God's covenant. And we're going to see that throughout the, the book of Revelation um, as it is in, in the old time um, covenant treaties. So covenant throughout the entire Bible, 
and emphasize also in the book of Revelation. That's a snippet. Relationship, <laughs> I, I, that's what emphasizes. Man, I want to sit at your feet all <laughs> Christmas. I just sit at your feet. My, my summary is Revelation is God honoring the promise that he has made. Yes. Covenant. Yes. yes. Covenant. Covenant. Mm-hmm. In my way of looking at it, covenant means that God is faithful. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I, I see it as God is 100% committed. Say it. Say nice. It. Say it. Say it. Preach it. All right. I love, I, I love these short, concise, and now people are actually like, yes, that is that is what it means. All right. Moving on to verses 14 and 15 of Revelation 20. Ooh, this is going to be a spicy question. Um, Pastor Joe, this, this spicy question is being given to you. Revelation 20 in verses 14 and 15 talks about the lake of fire and the second death. And the question is, would there be actual fire with living people burning and suffering in it? And, and I imagine how important this question is for people who have been um, who have been taught that, you know, excuse me, but you are going to hell and you're going to burn forever because of what you've done and and so forth. So in, in, in perhaps that context, too, will there be an actual fire? Will people be burning if you keep in mind the highly symbolic nature of the language, mm-hmm. the lake of fire doesn't seem to be more real than the false prophet, the beast, and the dragon that are thrown mm-hmm. into it. Right. But that doesn't mean the dragon the beast and the false prophet don't exist. Hmm. Therefore, it does not mean the lake of fire does not exist. Question is, what does it mean? There is a final eradication of sin and Mm -hmm. sinfulness Mm -hmm. that seem to happen through fire. Mm -hmm. But the question asks whether the people would live, would continue to live eternally, I suppose, in fire. Mm -hmm. Well, according to the Bible, the wage of sin is death. Yes. And the reward is life eternal. Mm -hmm. If those that are going to be eradicated by fire would live eternally in fire, that would mean that there are two ways of uh, rewarding or sentencing life on earth, Mm. that evil will live forever in a blissful experience. And those that uh, did, uh, those that did the good would live in a blissful experience forever. Those that did evil would live uh, in a very sorrowful and painful reality forever. The Bible Mm. doesn't teach that. I'm now jumping to Revelation 14, verses 1 to 12, and the message of the three angels. Principal Stevenson, this question comes to you. In this message of the three angels, it says, we encounter another angel 
in Revelation 18. Is the angel from chapter 18 one of the three angels of chapter 14, or is this angel a fourth angel? This angel, and, and Dex covered this when he was doing his, his, his awesome um, synopsis of, Genesis, of, of Revelation, this is a fourth angel. And he's described as very specific. I mean, you know, he, he is an ancient, powerful angel. So, so the, the, this is a different, this is, this seems to be a different angel, a very powerful angel who takes the, uh, the, the, the third angels, the first, second, and third angels message and combines them into, and repeats them and then combines it into a powerful end time message. But from, from what I've been able to research, this is, this is not the third angel. This is a fourth angel that takes the message and, 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 and takes it and, and combines them all together for a message for the people of, of the end time. And he talks about, um, you know, the, the, the loud cry, which we talk about in, in, in our, our church. And, um, you know, uh, and and calling people out of Babylon and all those things that, that were in the first, second, and third angel's message and really, really um, encouraging God's people to be ready for the second coming. And so this, this seems to be, this seems to be from what I've been able to study, this is a fourth angel, almost a fourth angel's message that mm -hmm. reiterates um, what the first three angels had already said, but this is a different angel. Um, seems to be a very different angel. I, I would, I, I would, I would love to meet this angel very well. Maybe you know, Gabriel or something. This is an ancient, uh, an ancient, very special angel um, th that is that that is called upon in the loud cry of of a, a, a Revelation eighteen. A mighty angel. Amen. Excellent. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that. We come to our first week presenter. Pastor Marsh became our first week presenter after Pastor Joe took his ministry to California. Pastor Anselm Paul was our guest speaker a few weeks ago. And Sister LaVon Brown has been our amazing first week host. Unfortunately, all three of them, Pastor Gervon, Pastor Aslam, and Levon, could not be with us tonight. But we would like to not only remember their outstanding contribution to the Bible Unmasked, but we would like to thank them for what they helped us to achieve. Please watch. And just, yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for allowing me to be a part okay. of this. I, I uh -huh. am excited about what you are doing with this uh, walk through the Bible during the year. This is awesome. This is great. It's good to be here with you this evening. I have heard wonderful things about the Bible and Mass, and I'm elated to be a part of this experience this evening. This Bible study is for everyone, the young, the old, those who have already read the Bible from Genesis through to Revelation and those who have not. So it doesn't matter who you are, we're inviting you to take your Bibles in hand and join us as we study God's word together each week. Oh, wisdom right? suggests that we should live a life for God because outside of that, all is vanity. We thank you for sticking with us through the recount of Revelation and we hope 
that this will not only encourage you to now turn back and go and seek out the jewels of revelation for yourself, but it will also bring you closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At this moment, I would like to now introduce to you our creator and our overall mastermind and moderator behind Bible Unmasked, Cassandra Pierre. Thank you, Pastor Jen. So tonight was the culmination of an entire year of an incredible journey. So I'm thankful to the Lord, but I'm grateful for all of you, for all the hosts, all the presenters. You guys were amazing. So this started last year um, as an idea. It was the year 2020. As you know, that was a very challenging year. And um, um, there was so much confusion that, um, you know, we were called by God, we were inspired to come up with this idea to read the Bible because we had to go back to the word of God. And when we had this idea, the very first person that we called was Pastor Joe. So when we called the Pastor Joe, he was very excited and he was very supportive. So thank you so much, Pastor Joe. We were sad when he left, when he left. But we know that um, we knew that he had to take his ministry um, to California. But Pastor Joe, we are so grateful um, for you. Um, you were so supportive and you provided guidance and you helped shape the Bible Unmasked into um, what we know today. So thank you, Pastor Joe. Amen. So with Pastor Joe, my pleasure. <laughs> so with Pastor Joe, we also had Yvonne Brown. She's could not, she could not be here tonight, but behind all these wonderful presenters, we have great hosts who challenge them, who ask them the hard question. And um, Levon came, um, she came on every week and was prepared. She was ready. She had, she asked very good questions. So thank you, Levon. And also thank you to Pastor Jen. Um, I think Pastor Jen was the second person I spoke with. And she's the one who came up with the name Bible Unmasked. I had a very boring name. Yes. And you came up with that name. You did. And passage, and as you can see, she's very versatile. She's not just a presenter. She can also host, and she's, and she's hosting tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Pastor Jen. My and also to Principal Stevenson. Oh, my goodness. So, well, Principal Stevenson actually was Pastor Jen's idea because somebody else was supposed to be the host with Pastor Jen. She's like, no, I want Bob. I want Principal Stevenson to be the host with me and she's the one who called him and let me tell you he was god said i think he was you know handpicked by god to do this because principal stevenson came to be a host however he was a presenter um so many you know he was a presenter as well he's now of the bible he's our um school principal so thank you principal stevenson and let me go back to the first week on the first week after pastor Joel left for pastor march who's you know the head of the pastors who's so we had to throw pastor march in this and he's busy he's in charge of all the churches but pastor march did an amazing job and pastor Anselm paul also who was our um guest presenter just a few weeks ago so just to tell you the story um Pastor Paul, actually, well, you know, we have our own Pastor Paul Anderson. So every week I send reminders to the hosts and presenters, you will be on. But I had Pastor Paul's and Slim office number saved on my phone. So by mistake, twice this year, I texted him, hey, you are on for the Bible on us. Like, what? what is that? <laughs> so um, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I, Pastor March was off on vacation. And it was Saturday morning, the day before the Bible on Mass. I had no one to present. 
And I took a leap of faith, faith and texted Pastor Paul and he came prepared. He said yes, with no preparation. He answered, the, he heard the questions for the first time on set while recording and he was amazing. And as you know, nowadays I'm like a superstar <laughs> pastor coming just like this to do something for you. It, it doesn't happen. And he was humble and thank you for that, um, Pastor Paul. And um, thank you also to Pastor Dexter and Liz Thomas. They are my superstar couple. Um, so, oh my goodness, they were so, they were great. They were great. Um, and and after, actually after Pastor Joe left, um, Pastor Dexter was my advisor on this and he really helped and helped, you know, further shape on this project. And Liz, thank you so much. She was so independent. They recorded on their own every week and always prepared, always ready. So thank you also. Thank you to um, Pastor McCoy. Pastor McCoy, um, actually when we started this, he was not our pastor yet here at Plantation. So when he came first week, hey, you have to do this. And poor Pastor McCoy was going in and thank you Pastor McCoy. And he had with him um, um, Olivia who could not be here tonight, but she was so insightful, came on every week, prepared and ready. Thank you, Olivia. And Karina was our um, um, youth um, host. You know, we want you to support, to shape our youth. And she was on every week. She was great. Thank you also to Karina. And finally, thank you to Paul and Amy Anderson, who will not be here tonight, but they were our floaters, um, our fifth week presenters and hosts. And they did an amazing job. And thank you to all the viewers for watching. Thank you for reading the Bible. We love you and appreciate you. And thank you to Edward, my husband, who's behind the camera, cannot um, be on, you know, show his beautiful face tonight. But I threw poor Edward in this project and he had to be on every week recording, producing, and thank you to Edward. I would like also to thank quickly um, Collins Williams because when we started this, Edward has never produced anything before. So our first week was very hard. He was trying to edit, had no idea what he was doing. And he called Collins. It was late Saturday night and he provided guidance for Edward. And thank you to Landon, who's also assisted behind the scene with the technical aspect of this. Thank you to all of you. So when we started, um, that was just for one year. That was the goal. But you know what? This is just the beginning of a journey because we have to be in the word. So people have been asking, what are you doing next year? <laughs> so we will be working on something for next year, but we want, to, it will be different because we want you to be engaged. We want to have more families on. So the pastors, they've been burned out, overwhelmed, <laughs> coming on every week. We want the viewers to be on next year. So Pastor um, Dexter, he's behind that new project. He will be um, taking the lead on that, but we'll have you our viewers on next year so that you can come read the Bible and come and share with us your understanding of the word of God. Amen. 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 And thank you, all the pastors, all the presenters. And um, we love you. We appreciate you. And I pray that you were truly blessed by um, this journey this year. Amen. Thank you again to all of you for watching. I hope that you enjoyed this journey with us. Thank you very much. And we hope, as you said, that you will continue to go along with us into next year's 
um, with our season two. And right now we'd like to ask Elder Stevenson to close for us for prayer. All right, let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you so much for guiding and leading us uh, through the uh, scriptures over this past year. I pray, Lord, please, that it'll be a catalyst for future growth, for deeper study, uh, for more learning, and um, for starting from the beginning and reading it all the way through again. Father, we just ask, Lord, please, that you'll enlighten us, grow us, and let us be your people, and may we recognize you as our God, and may you recognize us as your people as we open up our hearts to each other daily. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 To our viewers, thank you so much for a fantastic year. Thank you for joining us on Bible Unmasked for our first season. We look forward to journeying with you in our second season. Please do not forget to follow the Plantation SDA Church on Facebook and YouTube. Please do not forget to bring your friends and family online and through this journey with us. And as we depart this evening, we wish you not only a very Merry Christmas, but a very Happy New Year. May God go with you all. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked.